Welcome to this episode of Brilliant Brains and Beautiful Minds. I'm your host, Melanie Burnicle. Today, we're talking pancakes, peanut butter, real food and feeling better. Please welcome my guest for today, Kate Johansson from Koja. Now, I wanted to start off with sort of going back to when you were younger and thinking about what was it that you saw yourself doing as a career as a youngster? Oh, I think probably like most um, young kids, I wanted to be a vet. I loved animals. I loved my pet dog. <laughs> that was oh. uh, always the dream. Diverged away from that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, many, many years of study. Um, yeah, so what was it? So, you know, when you first started off, you know, doing um, your amazing breakfast toppers and things, what were you doing? Like, obviously, because that you were sort of doing that on the side. And then, so what were you doing, you know, in, in, as a role for a job prior to that? I was working with a startup. So I, I didn't have any equity. I didn't own the, the startup. Um, but I was engaged to start the business from scratch. Um, and it was a pretty exciting opportunity. It was through the Carlton Football Club. They wanted to create their own range of nutrition supplements for their players and for other elite athletes. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I had a, a great opportunity there to learn how to uh, launch a brand, um, find manufacturers, source ingredients, work with the TGA and the um, Food Standards Australia, the um, regulatory bodies for supplements and for the food industry um, and and also everything else that's involved with a startup you know yeah. all the budgeting and marketing financials margins everything um, so fantastic experience but I quickly realized that my heart wasn't in supplements I'm very much a real food advocate yeah um, and yeah couldn't continue to promote products that I didn't believe in with all the synthetic and artificial and just yep. strange awful additives and preservatives that that were in supplements through that process is that where you kind of looked at well, hang on a second there's some what can i do differently that i believe in is that how your koja brand started yeah definitely i think and um, and this would be my advice for anyone wanting to start a business you have to know why you're different and there has to be a gap um, if you're just doing what somebody else is already doing and maybe you're doing it a little bit better or slightly different I don't think I mean business is hard enough without yeah. having your own point of difference um, so it's something that I've really always focused on is being different um, yes. and so from day one I always tried to create products that didn't already exist and I think we've definitely delivered on that amazing now Going back just a quick little thing, you said, you know, understanding why you're doing it as well. So what's your, and this is one thing I do, people talk to me a lot about and it's purpose. So what's yeah. your, what's your why to, why Koja? Like what's in there for you? Uh, I mean, there's so much, like I think I'm so passionate about this business. I, I think essentially it comes down to nutrition education. I think that all of us, should know more about what we're eating and what our bodies need and what certain foods do and how they're digested and you know what nutrients and vitamins and minerals are associated with um, you know what function in the body and without you know encouraging everyone to go off and study you know nutrition for years or months <laughs> or anything like that uh, you know I'm very much about keeping it real but I do think that my why is that we should understand those basics so that when we wake up feeling 
you know, slightly tired or at the end of the day, we might feel bloated or, you know, the, the myriad of conditions that we might have with our health, there is some basic understanding as to why that might be happening and how we can change the way we eat in order to mm. alleviate perhaps like the, the bloating as one example or yeah. um, fatigue and things like that. Do you find it strange that we eat probably at least three times a day and most people, you know, and including myself up until however many years ago, you don't actually really consider everything that's in the product. Um, you don't actually consider what you're putting into your body that that has to have so many different reactions within your body to actually give you the right fuel and to make you feel good and to make your body function. Like, does that just blow your mind that most people don't know what's in their food? Um, it doesn't really blow my mind because I think I understand. Like, yeah. we, a lot of us eat for pleasure and for hunger. And so yeah. um, sometimes you just don't have time to sit down and really think about, you know, what nutrients you might need in that moment. Like, there are so many other things in life to think about and to worry about without yeah. needing to add additional stress. Yeah. But I think it, it becomes relevant when we have a problem with our health. And that's sort of where my um, where I started to learn more about nutrition. And my problem was that I moved to London when I was 18 and worked in a pub and pretty quickly put on about 15 kilos in a year. <laughs> I think we all go through those. Everyone goes through one of those moments. You're like, mm, where'd you yeah. go? <laughs> I put my jeans on one day and like bent over and they, I, I can't actually believe I'm telling you this, but it's, um, it's, it happened. Thank God it was before Facebook days and um, there are no photos online, so you can't find them. But um, I moved back to Australia after living overseas for 18 months and had all this excess weight, which was never something that I'd had like throughout my teenage years. I was always very fit and healthy and then thought to myself, okay, like I'm back in Australia. I definitely want to get back to a normal weight and that was when I went, okay, so what is basically, what is food and what is it doing? And, um, yep. you know, why do I feel rubbish when I'm eating all of these diet foods and meal replacement shakes and all the stuff that the, you know, advertising tells you to be eating, you know, if mm -hmm. you're overweight and you listen to advertising, we should be having meal replacement shakes. You should be having, you know, chocolate flavored bars with only two points and we should be having diet you know, sweetened, artificially sweetened products instead of real food. Um, and yeah. I just felt like rubbish. I had no energy all the time. I wasn't losing weight. And, you know, that for me was just an awful year or two trying to get back to a healthy weight. And what finally yeah. uh, worked for me was cutting out all the processed rubbish and just eating whole foods, real foods and vegetables. I, because I have a few food intolerances and a fair few allergies and, you know, I put myself in the special needs bracket. Um, <laughs> and what I noticed years ago when I went, right, I'm going to really help my gut and go completely gluten-free. What I didn't know, and I blew out like a balloon. And I was like, what happened? Like I'm doing everything. I should be getting better. But all of these processed gluten-free products that were meant to be helping me were all high gi and full of sugar and mm. sugar and i've never been friends and then you're thinking you're doing the right thing and i really thought okay i'm buying all these gluten-free foods my life should be better i'm paying a fortune for them and i felt mm. worse yeah so and then that's when i started learning and researching and then like what you said the amount of sugar in the products that you're just not aware of blew my mind yeah. 
Yeah, I think processed foods is the real trap there. And I think a lot of people think, oh, okay, I'm going to make a, you know, a good move for my health and cut out gluten. But then you end up consuming more processed foods. Yeah. And like you said, processed foods have got a lot of sugar, but uh, as well as a lot of other additives and hidden ingredients and salts and sugars and artificial stuff. And that, that in a nutshell, is processed food that I think doesn't agree with most of it and then causes more issues like bloating mm-hmm. and it's not digested properly so you can have all sorts of digestive issues. Yes. Um, and we think that's coming from gluten, but I don't... For, I mean, obviously, for some people, they are celiac um but yes. for a lot of us when we cut out processed foods we feel better oh i 100 percent agree i think health is different for everybody but i think one thing that does agree with most people is um real food and it's, you know that's our essence at koja we're all about i mean our tagline is real food feel better and that's kind of exactly what we've started talking about which is that when yeah. you eat real food, you feel better. And it's so true. And it takes a while. Like I noticed when I did have the sugar in my system for me to get that out, I was a bit of a nerve nut, but I always felt hungry when I was eating all the sugar. I never felt satisfied. Is yeah. that something that you find that sugar does to people as well? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, this comes back to the basic nutrition education, which is my why. I mean, I wish that everybody understood the difference between carbohydrates, proteins and fat as basic nutrition education and fats and protein keep us full and carbohydrates don't not for as long you know um healthy fats from nuts and seeds um and proteins will keep us they're digested slowly so they keep us satisfied for longer whereas carbohydrates and and sugars like you mentioned are digested much much quicker and so then you can be an hour later going oh actually you know sure i just had a big bowl of you know, whatever I ate that was high, high in carbohydrates, but it's gone through your stomach really quickly and you're ready to eat again, uh, which can yeah. often lead to overconsumption yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I'm gaining sure. 15 kilos, <laughs> speaking from experience. Can I ask you, so with your products, like the mm-hmm. things that I've noted that, you know, that you look to do, A, you've got whole foods in there, B, they actually have a, a great function for the actual body um and there's there's actually thought gone into okay how can this help with your body so for me like reading something on yours and it was like reducing inflammation and like that's huge for me like that that just yeah. itself is enough to say yep great and then the low sugar and then yeah i just find like it's such a great thing and what you're doing is just really honest um but how would someone know if they're walking down the supermarket aisle to look at your product and know it's honest and then look at the ones who are being a little bit dishonest yeah and you've absolutely you know nailed our marketing challenge um you know i need to keep educating people around why our product is so different i think um Mm. we've just launched into cole's supermarkets nationally across australia congratulations thanks (laughs) um but it is one of the challenges like we've previously been stocked um in independent health food stores and online where we do have an opportunity to to educate people and you know people are much more willing to pick up a bar and have a look at the ingredients and they they can see for themselves that there's hardly any sugar and that there's no processed ingredients and no additives and um all of the good stuff um but i think now that we're in coles we have that challenge of people are spending less time in the supermarket um it's a very busy category there's so many options i mean i've got 
you can see in my office I've got a shelf behind me but um, (laughs) it is just about continuing to educate people about why ours are different and I think if I can say it really quickly what I did when I created our bars was tried to solve the problem that that I had personally which was when I was trying to choose a snack bar everything in the natural whole food space vegan you know claims like that that you associate with health food um it was all date based so it meant that they tasted very sweet and there's a lot of delicious products in that date based section and natural health section but everything was so full of sugar but then you look at the other side of the category and it's all the um you know high protein low sugar but it's all full of like really awful ingredients and like ingredient lists as long as you know taking up half the packet or more um whey protein and soy protein ice like really highly refined sources of protein full of artificial sweeteners and emulsifiers and additives and preservatives and just everything and that doesn't agree with me at all like physically that stuff goes straight through me so there was no healthy snack I was like okay I'm sick of eating a banana and a handful of almonds for a snack there must be something better out there and there really wasn't so we created a low sugar high protein high and healthy fat satiating healthy whole food bar I love that it. is um damn delicious too <laughs> yeah and then I love so you've you've got three um three within your bar range now as well three different yep. flavors now um yeah I like that as well because I got told a couple of years ago I can't eat peanut butter I'm allergic to some nuts but I'm not allergic to those but my stomach doesn't agree with peanuts like what like yep. I used to eat peanut butter but not crunchy peanut butter figure that out like you're you're a special case <laughs> oh yeah yeah um, but I love that you've got a chop chip crunch in there as well because again like I think it's that mental thing when you think you're eating a little bit of chocolate <laughs> and yeah definitely you like you're doing that our what? latest flavor is a dark chocolate um peanut butter bar and oh. uh it does still have peanuts in it I apologize but uh oh. it is uh, the, the perfect um sweet treat without like it's got less than a teaspoon of sugar in it it's got it like it's coming from a hint of coconut sugar there's no date so it's really um fructose friendly for people that have intolerances with fructose it's vegan it's gluten-free it's all these delicious things um and it's only 150 calories but it does have peanuts so (laughs) what i can promise you is that you're not the only one that um we so we have a lot of customers that have got specific dietary requirements and we meet a lot of them being no vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, none of the processed stuff and um, fructose-friendly as well. So we do have a lot of uh, customers with special dietary needs and one of the um, new products that we're working on at the moment is a peanut-free snack. So even even more exciting for me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then you also do um, one thing that... um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about who I was interviewing today and then they were on your website like, oh, my God, they do healthy pancakes. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I'm like, when this is all over, you're coming around for breakfast. (laughs) Yes, perfect. Yeah, Yeah, the pancakes, I think, like, I mean, I'm not gluten intolerant, but our pancakes are gluten-free. And I think they're really the only – I was trying protein pancakes. I'm quite into fitness and, you know, even a couple of years ago when we were um, developing the protein pancakes I was big into f45 and yep. tried a few different protein pancake recipes of online and um, various other pre-made mixes and they're all like 
I found them just very like eggy and flat and really yeah. not satisfying. Um, yep. And I was like, why is no one making a real fluffy pancake? But yeah. for me, like I said, I'm not gluten intolerant, but um, these pancakes are gluten free and they're just so delicious and fluffy and satiating. They really keep you full for hours. Yeah, and they hit the spot too. <laughs> it's nice. It feels like you've got a treat, but I've had so many gluten-free products over the years because I have tried to keep to it. I'm not perfect all the time. Every now and then I think I'm superwoman and I'll eat a few things and then, you know, three days later, you know, you're still going, why, why? Yeah. <laughs> but um, to find, you know, great gluten-free products that are exciting and taste good and that still have a nice texture to them, that's a huge accomplishment within itself because that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. <laughs> I think I sometimes hesitate to claim that our products are vegan because most of our customers aren't vegan. And yep. I think, and I'm, I'm not vegan, but I think there is an association with, Sometimes vegan products can taste, like processed vegan products can yes. taste a little bit like cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but our products are vegan, but absolutely don't taste like cardboard. You know, they're still that real rich, um, creamy texture. Above the, they've got a base of peanut butter, so they're often um, linked with the texture of um, cookie dough, which is, you know, yeah. absolute opposite of cardboard and you know what i think when you're talking about education behind everything as well i love that um on your website you do that as well you're offering recipes you're offering different ways to use your products and things and i think um we'll have all the links um on our site ready to go as well but i really like that you're not just throwing the product out there you're also giving you know great ideas on how to to live healthier and for anyone who doesn't know how to read a label jump on the website because I did go through and I was like oh like and as much as I read labels I still learned a lot if you were to tell people there was one thing that they should really look for on a label I know we've discussed sugar but um, yeah. if there was you know something that they would look for on a label to ensure that they were getting the goodness in a product what would what would you encourage them to look for so I always look at ingredients and yeah. the less the better um I think the even before you look at a label the most important thing is to i think is to make sure that the majority of your um, food on a daily or a weekly basis is from um, foods that don't have a label so um, things you know whole foods yep. which is what we've been talking about lots of fruit and veg i think is um, really the key to good health and yep. then when you are looking at labels less ingredients the better um, we have 10 ingredients in our bars and even that I'd say is a lot. But um, if you're looking at the average product in a supermarket, there, there can be, especially in the bar category, there can be upwards of 30 ingredients. And it's just scary how small the text gets and how, you know, you, you think about each one of those ingredients is in your body a little bit terrifying. Mm. Um, but just with the ingredients, even before you look at the nutritional analysis, just knowing the what the ingredients are. So, if, you know, for our bars, it says like peanut butter and organic cacao butter. It's like we know what those things are. But if it's hydrolyzed soy isolate, you know, stabilizer 101, whatever, and, and you kind of just think, okay, well, I, I don't have that product in my pantry at home. Am I, am I you know, is it yeah. probably highly processed and made in a lab and going to cause digestive issues and inflammation and all the rest of it steer clear <laughs> yeah it just means it's processed it's probably made in a lab and our bodies don't know what to do with it when it's digested 
Yeah. So is that what is that what causes inflammation? So when your body doesn't know what to do with something that's really foreign, um, that is a you know chemical based, then our bodies just go, oh, I don't know what to do. And is that part of what causes inflammation? Yeah, part of it. And there's lots of things that cause yeah. inflammation. The main culprit is excess sugar, um, yeah. but also stress. So stress can come from your lifestyle and the way that you think about things, but it can also come from toxins in the body. And toxins yeah. can be things like alcohol, but it can also be things like all the additives and preservatives and strange ingredients yeah. that we eat in processed food. Your products are going to be, um, so they're available in Coles nationwide. And I think this is really exciting that we are getting foods that were sold only in health food stores. Um, yeah. And that was how people found out about them. And so I think now that they, um, now that they're going to be more accessible being in such a big supermarket that I think it's great that people will have the opportunity to go and, and purchase the products there as well. That's the really exciting thing that um, supermarket buyers don't usually make the first move. It is customers and consumers that make the first move. And, you know, small brands like us that, you know, are making a, a move in the, in the space. And so I think um, the, the supermarket has definitely, you know, followed what consumers want, which is at least they're not ignoring it, which is fantastic. But um, I think the most exciting thing is that um, consumers really do have that power to support brands that are doing what you want to see more of. And if it is real food on the shelves, like we're definitely there with you. And if consumers can support us with, um, you know, buying more of the products so that we can make more products that um, don't have all that processed rubbish in it and are available in mainstream supermarkets. I think we will see a shift over the years. I think it's already happening. Can I ask you, Kate, and you've started off, you know, selling your breakfast toppers at the markets and then, you know, you've moved into your health food stores and then you're online and now you're moving into Coles. Like, is there a strategy that you put into place, either a sales strategy or a marketing strategy that you could talk us through? Just, um, just be nice to get inside your head and see, you know, yeah. how you got from A to B, like within a strategy. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to put um, one strategy into words. I think there's been many over the years and, and plenty that haven't gone according to plan. Um, but I think last year was a real turning point for us. Um, we launched our bars two years ago. And for the first year, I really didn't know how to talk about them, how to market them. Yeah. I was so, I think, so close to the brand and I knew what was so good about the bars and what I knew how great they tasted. But I also knew that, you know, they were um, all good whole foods and they were satiating and like you, you have one and you, you're so full for hours. And, you know, I knew all of this, but I, what I forgot was that people that are new to our brand have no idea what, what I'm on about. And so I really, what I did last year is, and there were a few really significant people that were able to help me through this journey um, but I got back to basics in terms of, okay, well, what is our brand? What are these products? What are they, what are the one or two things that people need to know? And that we came up with this claim, 75% less sugar. Yep. I think that's a really powerful statement. And that's on the, um, so 75% less sugar than your average natural snack bar. And that's because we sit in a category where all of the natural snack bars are sweetened with dried fruit which is usually dates 
And so most of them are, you know, sometimes like 20 grams of sugar, you know, in a small snack size. And you're like, um, you know, I don't know, people, some people say they eat half of a snack bar. I'm like, who are you? You put half back in the packet. No way. If, if yeah. I buy a snack bar, I'm eating that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you get, you get that buzz. So for us, getting that really clear and just coming back to basics of, okay, so what, what is the one main thing that people need to know about our bars? It's 75% less sugar. And then how do we implement that across almost everything that we do? So that, that involved, uh, we had to rework our strategy across um, communications, socials, marketing, um, all of our presentations, how we talk to buyers, what the packaging looks like, you know, we, the website, everything. We had to just go back to basics and review everything and go, okay, with this new strategy of 75% less sugar being the main claim, how do we communicate that? Because everyone is so busy and we need to be able to respect people's time. They're not, I mean, as a consumer myself, I go to a website and if you can't give me the information that I need in two or three clicks like I'm out of there yeah but um yeah so we just wanted wanted to catch people's attention and make it really easy for them to understand if you're wanting to follow a low sugar diet here we are was it daunting going into a big supermarket like Coles to pitch by the time I was presenting to the supermarket for national ranging we'd already been in a handful of stores on a trial and we yeah. were you know out selling our numbers like three or four fold on a weekly basis so I think that's right I was going in pretty confident knowing yep. that there really was a gap and that um, there were customers wanting a natural low sugar bar and there were no natural low sugar bars. So yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good place to be for our products. You've got this great energy when you're talking about your product. I don't know. <laughs> you, you can see it in you. It's like, you, you know, you get this smile and I think that that story and the journey of what you've been on, like that's part of your product. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I, um, I mentor a few other um, women in business and I think the, that USP or unique selling proposition or, um, you know, whatever it is that makes you different, that yeah. is something I like go on and on and on about because it's when you find a new customer it's what they'll um what they'll want to know about you but then it's also what keeps a customer and i think especially in fmcg keeping customers is almost more important than getting new ones because if you can get new customers all the time but they only buy your product once you're going to have a pretty expensive marketing bill Um, but for (laughs) us i think what's been successful is that i've got customers that discovered our brand you know, five years ago and still buy from our website every month. And, you know, they feel like family, even though I've never met them, but I, I you know, the notification pops up my phone, on my phone. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, bill's ordered again. Fantastic. I love that. I love that, you know, and I love that you're still really so hands-on and you see all of this because I think then, you know, you really are aware of what's going on in your business and who your consumer is. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, there's good and bad parts to that. I think like Mondays are a really busy day for us where we process most of our orders. So we get most of our independent wholesale orders. We get our big supermarket orders on Mondays and we've always got the Friday night, Saturday and Sunday online orders to process. And one thing like, I mean, I'm not perfect. One thing I'm trying to work on is getting away from that um, you know, processing part of the business. Like people always say you shouldn't work in your business. You should work on your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mondays are the one day of the week where I tend to get no work done. And I'm here, you know, we, we do have a team. Like I definitely, aren't, I'm not doing it all on my own, but I'm still here 
checking orders, making sure paperwork's done right, making sure <laughs> labels are straight and things like that. And <laughs> I probably shouldn't be that hands-on sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Like working on the business and working in the business are two totally different things. And to be able to move forward, you have to take a step back and work on the business. But then I think, you know, if it's one day a week where you're in the business, I think it does kind of keep you that hands-on as well. Yeah, I think, and it's just reality. Like for a small business, I mean, we're not where I'd say we're, we're a big small business where we're getting there, um, but we haven't had investment. We're not, you know, um, rolling in millions of dollars to hire staff and managers. It's reality is that it's still um, a small business and, and I need to be working my butt off to make sure everything um, <laughs> happens. Yeah. Um, talking about investment, you were on Shark Tank. It was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So talk, can you talk me through that process and what it was like for you to have people offering to invest in your business then? And then also, you know, that's happened afterwards as well with angel investors and yeah. And then your decision, because I find this, you know, ex very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, for a lot of people that have their own business or have an idea, investment is something that we'll consider. Um, and for me, Shark Tank, Shark Tank was interesting. Um, I ended up turning down the offer and I think um, in hindsight I realized like no one's going to work and care about this business as much as I do you know on Shark Tank the sharks all promise to oh you know I can do this and I'm going to help you this and I, I can mentor you and and things like that the reality is at the end of the day you know if they've done a season of Shark Tank they've probably picked up 20 businesses they yeah. just don't have time to to invest. Shark Tank is a great uh, platform to speak to your consumers and, and get that um, B to C promotion. Yeah. Um, but it's reality is it's a reality TV show. It's not an angel investor program or an accelerator program. Once yeah. I once my episode aired, I realised that there wasn't the right synergy between the investor, um, and it was season one. It was John McGrath. Yeah. Um, it just there wasn't the right synergy between what his expectations of the business were and what mine were. And so I, I didn't go ahead with it, but I think yeah. what's really important and what I'd really like to share about investment with your listeners is just that I always thought that I needed an investor to be successful. And I think maybe this is a female thing. I'm not sure, but I didn't have the confidence in my own ability. I thought I have never done this before. How on earth do I take a, you know, a little idea from, my kitchen bench and a farmer's market to now be stocking in supermarket shelves. Um, yeah. So I always thought that I needed an investor and also most investors are males. But um, over the years, I realized that like, I'm a quick learner, I'm very motivated and it doesn't matter that I don't know everything. There are people that you can ask on how to do things and you can learn and you can back yourself and fake it. And um, <laughs> It's yeah, I think it's really exciting to be here now where I haven't taken investment and I still own a hundred percent of the business. That um, and I'm pretty confident that we can continue to grow. You seem to really understand your your own character strengths and you've just gone, actually, you know what? When you've taken a step back and looked at you've you've got this, you're a fast learner, you can do this. But acknowledging all those things that you are doing and that you can do, and then you were able to sort of say, Oh, okay, hang on a second. 
you know what, I'm, I'm going to be okay on my own. I think it's brave and it's yeah. exciting. Yeah, and it's taken five years. Like, I think me, when I started this business, was a completely different person to who I am now. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the one thing that I'd really like people to, if they are at the beginning of their business journey and they're doubting themselves, especially women, because I think we do it more. I think yeah. men just don't think about it and go and do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I think as as women and I mean speaking for myself I overthink everything not not everything I don't want to completely throw myself under the bus here but it's something (laughs) that I can do and have done in the past is you know you think too much about what might go wrong and instead um focusing on what is going right has is what's worked for me um and just trying to you know just keep pushing forward can I ask now that you know that you you know sometimes will really think about too much and maybe you know everything and and more what how do you now knowing that you know on this five-year journey that that's been something that may have slowed a process down for you or held you back in one way until you figured it out what how do you catch yourself now and what's that little bit of self-conversation like with yourself to go right here come on (laughs) off we go yeah, I, I think the two things that I um, do, and I, I probably make this mistake on a weekly or a monthly basis, so it's something I'm always practising, um, but having a big picture goal is always really important. So instead of getting bogged down in the little day-to-day things, because some days, you know, everything can go wrong and it's just like <laughs> blow after blow, you know, you get a, a shitty email and a you know annoying phone call and a delivery doesn't turn up and it's just like, things go wrong but if you always have that big picture plan which is like okay in the next three months this is what we're trying to achieve if we're always moving towards that even if you get a day or a week of hiccups if you can come back to that bigger plan you know like that you're moving ahead and that for me is something that um, eases the anxiety around all the little things that go wrong if I can still go no look at where we were three months ago this is where we're trying to get to now and look at where we're going to get to in three months so yep. having that big picture. But yep. also the other thing that I do regularly, uh, which I <laughs> catch myself on, is um, thinking that things are personal when, you know, business is personal. It's all about building relationships and finding people that you can work with and trust and are on the same page as you. But also understanding that everyone is coming to life from their own um, point of view. And it's not always about me. I think sometimes... I'll be like, oh, why didn't, you know, that person stop my range or something? Oh, maybe he doesn't like me or maybe she doesn't like me. And it's like, <laughs> actually, Kate, get over yourself. It's got nothing to do with you. Um, and if I spent too much time thinking about all of the, you know, I, I work predominantly in sales. I'm, you know, any business owner probably does. But yep. especially in FMCG, you're selling your product all the time to different people and different buyers and I think when it's your brand and your product and it's your baby, so to speak, you know, this is developed, you've created, it's yours. It's hard to release that, that personal aspect to it. It really is. But when you do, like you see the magic, you have to, yeah, you you move forward quicker. I know. And I am very close to the brand and the product. And when people don't love it as much as I do, sometimes I'm like, oh, you're a fool <laughs> but obviously like I said I'm just trying not to think about it too much and just just yeah. move on and... I think it's great how self-aware you are and I think um because you know so many people sort of get to point and they don't realize what they're doing or what's hindering themselves and I think 
when you take a step back and you look at what you're doing and how you're processing, um, then you can kind of go, oh, okay, that's just how I naturally work. All right, well, that sort of slows me down a bit. But you actually take the time to do that for yourself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, I mean, and it's something that I'm continually working on and I think we all have to. But I think for me, a lot of my career has been working predominantly on my own. So I mm. haven't had a, a manager or, you know, a, any anyone really to say, Kate, this is what you need to be working on. So it is about being your own manager and being your own, um, you know, doing performance assessments on myself in some way. Yeah. Like I've been doing Koja now for five and a half years. And before that, I worked on another business where, I mean, there were directors, but I was the only full-time employee and it was a startup. So I was, again, working on my own for two years before that. So most wow. of my career has been um, me with a laptop <laughs> trying to yep. make shit happen. Um, so if I didn't sort of, yeah, if I wasn't aware of my weaknesses, I um, probably wouldn't have grown much. You don't have to be great at everything, but you do have to have someone in your team or your network that can do it. And if that means employing them. I think that's really important. Um, just knowing that we're not meant to be superheroes and I've tried it in the past. <laughs> I throw the yeah. cape on, I'm like, I can do it, I can do it. And then I end up, oh, I have it like twice. I've almost just burnt out. Like yeah. who can work 20 hour days trying to do everything for months on end? You can't yeah. live like that. And then again, like knowing what your strengths are, knowing what you're good at, focusing on that, because that's going to be where you create magic. Yeah. Um, and like we said, you know, get someone, get a bookkeeper and whoever it is. And a lot of people I think that I have spoken to, especially in the last few months, um, have been, they, they, the numbers for them are scary not just because I don't understand them, but it potentially it's like, oh, how do I, how do I make this better? But people tend to sort of bury their heads with numbers a little bit. And I know I've been guilty of it in the past. I just didn't want to know. Um, but it doesn't help you understand your business if you ignore the numbers. It scares me when people say, oh, I, I don't look at my sales and I don't, you know, I think um, if you're going to run a business, it, you have to have some appreciation of, of numbers and where your business is at. Like, you, how do you, I don't, how, how do you make decisions around um, spending and stock levels and ordering if you don't have any idea of your cash flow? Okay, can I ask you as well, things that, you, you know, you might've set out or you've created something and that hasn't actually gone anywhere the way that you wanted it. And like, can you talk us, because a lot of people um, don't even get started on things because of fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of, am I good enough? Is it going to be good enough? And, you know, have you ever put a product um, out there that you've just gone, actually, and then because you've invested so much time, what do you do once it's there? And, you know, can you talk me through a scenario that might've been from you from, you know, bringing it to life, pulling it, doing whatever that might've been for you, that journey and what success have you found in the failures? <laughs> yeah, sorry. definitely. Um, and I think like um, in some ways, my failures are still up there on the website. I launched this business with breakfast toppers and they are essentially a failure because I launched them into hundreds of retail outlets across the country and they were so slow to move and to sell that um, they got pulled off the shelves really, really quickly. Now our breakfast toppers are sold in, I would say 10 stores across Australia and so they are our failure 
the interesting thing about why I keep selling them is, well, one, I love them and I eat them every day. So it's kind of a selfish thing. Um, but also we do over $10,000 a month on our website in breakfast topper sales. So wow. they're successful in that sense um, of yes. people that love and understand our brand and are literally addicted to the breakfast toppers that I would never stop making them or never say never, but I really don't want to have to stop making them because um, even though they failed in that retail space, yeah. um, I think the, the main thing there that I learned was that um, they're $15.95 or $16. And for an FMCG product, that's a really high price point. Yeah. For most people, when you're browsing the shelves, you're not going to spend $16 on one product. Um, and the way the breakfast toppers worked was when I was at a farmer's market and I could really explain to people that they're like a multivitamin. They're a natural multivitamin. They're a mix of nuts and seeds. Two tablespoons a day provides um, 25 vitamins and minerals, a really nice hit of fiber. So they balance out any digestive issues. And so then there's nothing else like them. So people keep buying them. Yeah. Um, but in terms of failure, for years, I pushed those products. And through Shark Tank, we had a lot of success in the sales, um, but it just didn't get easier. And it, you know, it was always like, really hard to get that um, growth in that in those products so that's definitely what I would define as my failure there were parts of the product that worked but yep. a lot that didn't how do you go about like you know that's the one thing that you've pushed and you've been going out there and you know you're on the sales bandwagon and this is what you're pushing how do you then because I know, well, this is how I would feel like when I had to go back and say, okay, great, we're not going to stock these anymore with you. Like, does that hurt a little bit? Like when this was your baby? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, like, I think at that time, I didn't have any other products. I didn't have the protein pancakes or the peanut butter bars. So mm. at the time I was going, okay, I've got this great brand and this great business, um, but I'm not growing. And I'm working so hard to try to grow the business on these three breakfast toppers and it wasn't happening. So then you start going, okay, well, should I shut down the business? And that was something I definitely considered. Yeah. Um, or do I evolve? And I obviously evolved and got what worked. And this is all just through talking to customers, like, yeah. And having a little bit of a gut feel myself, but understanding okay, what is it that customers love about these products, but what is, is it that stops people from buying them regularly? Mm. How and do you manage learned, your research? Like how did you, you know, with your customers, do you go back through their, you know, email orders and things and then just reach out to them and just say, what is it? No, I mean, we do some online surveys um, and that, that's a really good way to survey like a large number of people. Mm. Um, but when we're with especially three years ago when all of this is kind of happening we're, we're a very small business and it's sort of me and maybe one part-time employee so and with a really limited budget so it's not like we're running focus groups and you know getting the <laughs> most up-to-date data about what are the market trends a lot of it is gut feel like I am a Koja customer myself so um some of it is just what what I want to see on the shelves um, yep. but also we've done a lot of markets and face to face. And I think it's wonderful when we're at like, I mean, we've done the finders keepers markets and like big design markets where you have an opportunity to talk directly to your customers face to face. How long did it take you from concept to getting the, the peanut butter bars ready? Like how long a process is that? 
That was a long time. All of the products before bars were um, dry blends. So we started, I mean, I started in the early days with a um, commercial kitchen um, sort of certificate for my own apartment. And I was making the breakfast offers for a few months. And then we got into a commercial kitchen and we had a contract manufacturer. But when we got to um, wanting to launch bars, we... Um, you you know, there's so much equipment required to make bars and I wasn't in the position to launch my own manufacturing facility. So finding someone that would work with me was really challenging. Mm-hmm. And I went to, um, you know, handfuls and handfuls of manufacturers all around Melbourne and they were all like, yeah, sure, like minimum runs are 100,000 units. And, you know, I was looking at trying to do a minimum run of, you know, 500 units. So I was well off. Um, And also because your products don't have the nasty crap in them, you probably don't have like the same shelf life as some of those other Yeah, definitely not. No, like some products have got a two-year shelf life. So in the cold aisle where we're sitting now, like some of the products, a lot of them are actually made overseas in the US or in Asia, and then they have a two-year shelf life. And we're putting product on the shelf that was made within a few weeks and will be sold within a few weeks. So when you're buying a Koja bar, it's got a six or a nine month shelf life on it. Yep. So it's much shorter. And we don't use any preservatives or anything like that. It's just a shorter supply chain. Yep. So we're able to, um, you know, our, yeah, our bars are made in um, regional Victoria and then they're delivered to the Coles CCs in Vic and New South Wales like a week after they've been made. And then the Coles team get them to stores. Yeah, because it blows you mind, like thinking of a two-year shelf life for something. Yeah. You know, That's just gross. like, well, if you think about what you were saying earlier in the interview, you know, think about what's in your cupboard. None of that has yeah. two year like anything that's a whole food doesn't have a two-year shelf life on it. And yeah, so, yeah. You know, what are they putting in it? Oy, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's enough on its own, isn't it? Yeah. I think there was an interesting statistic I heard recently that was um, there's a direct correlation between the shelf life of a product and the profitability of that range. Mm. So for, when you think of like, I mean, the, uh, example is like a Mars bar, if they can increase the shelf life of that product, they're going to make more profit off that product. And so wow. for big corporate, um, you know, food manufacturers, they're always looking for the next chemical that means mm. that they can... Um, have a longer shelf life but I think when we when it comes to food and particularly for us at Koja it's not about trying to make more money it's about trying to put out a better product well yeah I think that's yeah nice integrity and I think that's yeah a, yeah yeah well it's something that you know you you definitely makes people think before they're putting something into their body <laughs> yeah yeah I hope so awesome Oh my God, there's been such a great, like fun adventure that we've been on on this journey today. I love it because yeah. we kind of really have covered a lot and I'm grateful for that. You, you know, you've been really honest, you know, with the ups and downs of business and that's that's life and it's also reality in business. So thank you for, you know, being amazing and sharing that with us. <laughs> uh, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Brilliant Brains and Beautiful Minds. I'm Melanie Burnicle. See you next time.